Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the world of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me. And cold weather turned to storms over the weekend. Very cold this day last week when I was speaking to you last. And then turned very stormy over the weekend and into this weekend just gone by. We had storm Isha and then we had storm Jocelyn. Uh, lots of you without power over the weekend, which makes things ever so challenging on farms. Calmer and milder coming into next week, thankfully. Now, the show this week, Noel Feeney from the Agricultural Consultants Association joins me in a moment where, according to last week's Irish Farmers Journal, all the ag consultants in the country were going on strike. So we're going to find more about that in just a moment from Noel. Later in the programme, I'm going to be speaking to Declan McAvoy from IFAC, the accountancy and tax organisation. They published their sixth Irish farm report last week. This is something we cover annually here on the programme. Loads of data and info in these reports and a really, really interesting reading. So this year they focused on input prices, succession planning and the impact of the weather amongst other areas. Now one stark finding from this report is that one in three farmers believe they will have problems paying bills within the next six months. And that is uh, sobering when you look at it, given the cost of input prices and the fall of incomes in certain areas. I'm going to talk to Philip uh, about that in uh, just a, a little while. Um now, also, we have the Chagas National Tillage Conference that takes place next weekend. And there's lots on offer, as always, at the event. One area of huge interest is the possibility of a national synergy between dairy farming and tillage farming. So one needing to export slurry and the other badly needing nutrients for their crops. So with more on this, Michael Hennessy from Chagas will join me later to chat. That event is on next week. Minister McConlogue launched a 10-point plan for the dairy beef sector last Thursday in Port Leash with the aim of increasing the quality of dairy beef calves. The ICMSA are not happy as this was launched, believe it or not, without any dairy farming input. They feel that as the farmers who will breed these calves, the least that could be done is to consult with them. Dennis Drennan, President of the ICMSA, will join me to chat about this 10-point action plan and where he feels it went right and indeed went wrong. As always, text WhatsApp the programme with your questions to 083 30 10 103. Now, as I said, kicking off with Noel Feeney from the Agricultural Consultants Association. Noel, many thanks for taking my call this evening. You're welcome, MJ. Good evening to you. Uh, yeah, as we said, last week's Farmers Journal, uh, Noel, when people got it on Thursday morning, they felt they weren't going to be able to contact their ag consultant for the coming days or weeks or God knows how long it was. But uh, this strike that was mooted, what was the background of it, Noel? Tell me. Uh, look at MJ, what happened was that, look at, and we've discussed this before, over the last 15 months, as we all know, and farmers know this as well, we've had a plethora of schemes and, you know, successive schemes with very fast exposing deadlines and, you know, a lot of pressure on advisory services, etc. But where this came from was to do with the KT scheme and the KT obviously was a highly successful uh, scheme knowledge transfer in 2015, 2016, 2017. There is a new knowledge transfer scheme under the new cap reform. And, you know, we just, a number of months ago, when we did get the terms and conditions of it, we just didn't get the full picture. And basically what happened was about a week ago, 
um, people or advisors that was partaking in the scheme were getting emails from the department to say that, look, you had to do one-to-one meetings. They had to be recorded on an IT system five days in advance, which we did know, but you could only do two a day, and we did know they had to be done by the end of March. So look at um, MJ, do the maths on this. Um, if you had 50 or 60 people and you had only could do two one-to-one meetings a day, two hours long, you're also going into the Biscuits and Eco Scheme season. You are going into nitrate derogation application season. And obviously there's the ongoing um, pressure of taking soil samples for the Acre Scheme. So, you know, advisors, as I said, have, have come off serious deadlines. And I think this was the straw that was going to break the camel's back unless the department um, eased back on the um, requirement for the one-to-one meetings. And in fairness, um, a delegation from the ACA and Chagas did meet the department on this. And, you know, the department did meet us halfway. We can down, do now four one-to-one meetings in a day and over the on a Saturday as well. So we're over doubling our output now. And hopefully we will achieve the end of March deadline. But look at MJ, there's a huge a huge amount of frustration out there building up an advisors the last 15 months. Yes, it's fantastic to have the work. and But look, at, we, we, we made sure we got our clients into the schemes. It's all about the farmer at the end of the day, getting the farmer into the money's pocket. But there has to be workable solutions to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely, Noel. The amount of schemes there are now, if you go on to Ag Food, you can see them there on the left-hand side, all different ones, and they all they all come at the same time of the year. The knowledge transfer uh, scheme, Noel, how much is that worth to individual farmers? So the, the individual farmer, um, the, the, the facilitator or the advisor has to run nine meetings. Eight of those are group-to-group meetings, two hours long, and the aforementioned one-to-one meeting. So again, the farmer will get €750 Euro at the end of the year for that. It's, you know, each, each group has to have a, an aim or goal. It could be water quality. It could be improving biodiversity. And, you know, records will have to be kept on how the farmer is doing and how the group is doing. And like, it is a good way of um, getting information across to, um, you know, across to farmers and the various important issues that we have, especially on water quality, because, look, as we all know, there's a derogation issue. And, you know, we had the um, European Commissioner in last November in Dublin, and he, he said publicly that water quality was in the hands of Ireland and maintaining the 220. So look at it, all hands on decks. It's not a lone delegation of farmers. It's all farmers have to take responsibility on water quality. Look, at, we do know it's not all farmers' fault, but I think we have to be very responsible now in dealing with our stories, etc. The uptake on the knowledge transfer scheme, uh, Noel, was it uh, good, bad or indifferent, what would you say? Um, look at it, it, I'm just, 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 just looking at the figures. No, seven hundred and fifty euro for eight two-hour meetings. Like, yeah. it's a lot of time to go into. It. Like, it's it's not a great payment for the amount of time uh, that no. you'd have to you'd have to put into it. And especially then, these meetings are going to be popping up at times of the year where it's going to be busy springtime and uh, cows calving and whatnot as well. Like, you'd really want a, a better bottom line than that. Well, the uptake the uptake among farmers and advisors wouldn't be as great as the last scheme the money is the same and you know personally i took a business decision and look at uh are we going to do more work for money the same money that we got maybe nearly 10 years ago so again look at it it's up to every farmer to decide it's up to um every facilitator to decide but again you know what i would say if a farmer is going to join a kt group he's not doing it for the money or she's not doing it for the money is to gain important information
Yeah, very good. Noel, before I let you go, we are 24th of January now. We're after these storms and there's wet weather and whatnot, but we won't feel it and we'll see fertiliser spreaders out uh, around the country and grass will, will start greening up and start to grow. However, this year, uh, the back end of last year, we saw the National Fertiliser Database come in. It kind of went a little bit under the radar, I suppose, at the back end of the year because people weren't really spreading fertiliser the day it had closed. But this is now where there's got to be an issue with the fertiliser database, with soil sampling. Can you just give a word on what uh, farmers need to do, please, in advance of the fertiliser spreading season? Well, simply, simply, MJ, what's going to happen is when a farmer goes to his or co-op to buy their fertiliser for the coming year, whether it be, say, 2 tonne, 10 tonne, 20 or whatever, that will be recorded by the merchant. And eventually that information or that purchase information and the quantity will end up in the Department of Agriculture in the nitrate section. So at the end of the day, the onus will be on the farmer to prove that he or she are, can spread phosphorus. Um, there will be, you know, there, there are going to be inspections on this database. So, for example, if you have soil sample results and you have a nutrient management plan, well, then as an advisor, I can give you a prescription to say, well, look, this is your limit. Um, it might be oxygen, nitrogen, it could be urea, whatever. But again, if farmers go ahead, buy fertilizer without touching base with their advisor, well, they need to know possibly um, that there may be plenties without soil samples because obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're shooting in the dark. And what I would say, MG, is look at it is extra work, it's an extra cost. But look at these soil samples in the nutrient management plan are good for four years. And it gives a, def- a, a, a definitive um, overview of what's lacking on the farm and where you need to concentrate on maybe lime, um, pea, pea, you know, things like that. So again, you know, it is a cost, but it's an investment in the really over the next four years on your farm, fertility and water quality, etc. Yeah, very good, Noel, and good information there, as always. Look, we'll say many thanks for joining us. I know you're down in County Cork. You have a long drive back up to your neck of the woods, Noel, so we'll let you get back on the road. And many thanks for speaking to us on the programme. Welcome, MJ. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Noel Feeney there from the Agricultural Consultants Association and uh, the big one there is the fact that uh, that strike is not going ahead that's what the journal reported on last week and that was as a result of the time pressures uh, due to the knowledge transfer um, uh, scheme Uh, also just what Noel said there about spreading fertiliser just be cognizant of that you may not have inputted details into the National Fertiliser Database uh, towards the back end of last year. Uh, that was on your closing stocks of fertiliser. Uh, however, uh, once you start now this year, uh, your fertiliser purchases, as Noel said, will be tracked to your herd number like it is done in the UK and that will be fed back to the department and you will need to be able to show that you need to spread P and K. So therefore, you pretty much have to have soil samples done now if you want to be able to stand over your fertiliser purchases. So if you didn't get them done towards the back end of last year, just be cognizant they need to be done sooner rather than later. They're not really that expensive, to be honest, in comparison to what you'd save on fertiliser spreading. And some people are spreading P's and K's that they don't need. Obviously, some farmers still need lots of P and K, depending on what you're doing or what crops you're growing. So uh, each case is uh, different to the farm. Uh, But look at your soil samples or if you haven't booked them in, book them in now uh, sooner rather than later. Okay, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Michael Hennessy from Chagas and he's going to be speaking to us about the National Tillage Conference, which is taking place next week. The big one there is, can there be a synergy or or, uh, something worked out between dairy farmers 
and tillage farmers for exporting of slurry. And it's a really interesting area, something we're going to talk to Michael about in just a moment. Stay tuned. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, moving on to Tillage. The National Tillage Conference is taking place next week in County Kilkenny in Lyrath Estate. Next Wednesday, actually. And one of the people involved in it is Michael Hennessy from Chagas. Michael, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No problem at all. Delighted to be here. Uh, it's a big event, uh, Michael, as always, and there's a lot of work goes into these big lineup of speakers and a lot of uh, background work. You're doing these year on year. Uh, do they get easier as the years progress, Michael, or do they get more stressful? Well, I, I suppose, look, it's excitement every time you kind of go at it in terms of the lineup that you can put together and, and trying to, I suppose, match the what's going on out, out there on the farms and the needs of that and trying to match that into, uh, you know, what's going to be really insightful at the time and I think we've probably had the balance reasonably right this year. Yeah, the mood in tillage farming in general, uh, Michael, how would you describe it? Are the mood in dairy uh, was, was lower at the start of this year as a result of uh, prices last year? Tillage farmers, what would you say in general? Are they reasonably okay, content going into 2024? No, I wouldn't think so. No, it's one of those kind of really tricky, terrible years kind of coming in. There's only one kind of bright light, I suppose, in, in the fact that fertilizer prices have nearly gone back to where they were but they're not quite there but look with everything else there's a pretty poor harvest last year the price of grain has been tumbling or has been falling slowly slowly sleeping away since probably may uh, the previous years and and it, and it continues to slide a little bit and um, there's, there's, there's very little winter crops in the ground and uh, there's no prospects of getting any work done and um, the other bright spot out there is if you have straw in the shed it's worth a bit of money but other than that it's um you know it's it's it's, it's kind of a tough start to the year but Look, as ever, farmers are um, ever optimistic because it's the word, I'm not sure to stay at it. Well, look, optimism is the word in agriculture. There's no question about that, Michael, in, a, a, in all areas. But uh, look, people will go down for the day. They'll get to speak to their colleagues and different people that are involved in the industry. And uh, as you said, you have a lineup of speakers and papers. One of the ones that uh, caught my eye when I saw it uh, initially, when I saw the lineup, and that is are there synergies for the tillage and dairy sector? This is one of the three workshops that you're going to have on uh, throughout the course of the day. Look, this is the big one. You often hear people saying, look, there's dairy farmers out there that are in derogation that need to export slurry. There's tillage farmers that are growing crops and that need P and K. Can there not be some sort of a think tank where they can all get together and um, help each other out, a symbiotic relationship, if you will? Look, it's probably not as easy as that it's easy said but is that the the broader theme of what you're going to be talking about yeah look we, we we're doing something very different this year uh we are in other years we would have had kind of presentation after presentation and you know a bit of chat after each presentation kind of thing but this year we're, we're going a little bit different and what we're trying to do is really kind of like you say they're trying to uh, get views and and encourage more participation from people who turn up to have their say if you like so we're these workshop shops sessions in the afternoon uh, there's basically a choice of, of five that people can choose from so people can choose three out of five um, the dairy one you're talking about is, uh, is certainly one of them I think it'll be of, of great interest the other one uh, there's a number of great interest but the next one I think of good interest is going to be well what is going to come out of this new food vision group and um, the group that's been sitting there and talking over the last maybe six or seven months about uh, trying to map the way forward for tillage with you know as organized by the Department of Agriculture we also have um, three others which are really close, I suppose, to, to, to growers in terms of 
One is around grass weeds and how you get good grass weed control in, in, in the cross plate there. Another one to do with disease control and how we achieve better disease control. And the last one is around um, beans and getting the most out of bean crops. But going all the way back to, to the first one you talked about in terms of dairy and tillage, the synergies are there. If you stand back from it, you'd have to say there has to be loads of synergies there that, that can actually happen. Um, at the moment, dairy are scrambling to, to, to get land, I suppose, and competing very heavily with, um, with tillage farmers. And look, there's, I don't think there's any great need to do that. I think both both uh, sides of the camp there can um, can match up both both of their objectives uh, and and avoid paying really high prices and pushing costs up on everybody essentially. Because there's no winners other than the landowner, but there's no other winners within that. And essentially, look, we need to keep active farmers active and making money because if they're not making money, and um, they're just going to go out of business, and you know it's, it's tricky enough to get. Uh, you know, people to come on after and succession and all that kind of thing as well. So we'll, we'll we'll have a go at it and see what kind of comes out of that particular workshop. Yeah, the 2030 Food Vision Tillage Group, um, it's widely publicised. Mr. McConnell wants more and more people going into tillage and there's uh, big figures uh, for uh, the total land area in tillage by 2030. Um, look, trying to encourage people in at the moment. I know the grant last year or two years back and there was another one last year as well. If you ploughed lay ground, you got um, you got money in order to put it put it into a crop. The strong corporation scheme, there are incentives there. But realistically, like tough to get people to move from grassland into tillage unless it's their system, Michael. It is. Uh, and I suppose the surprising thing is, is there's a huge amount of land that is under grass that's really suitable to tillage. We only occupy something like about maybe uh, 370,000 hectares. But there's the goods of 800 or 850,000 hectares that have been in tillage uh, over probably the past 15 years or so. So there's an awful lot of land that's more than suitable for it. And I suppose maybe the surprising thing when you stand back from it a bit and you look at the profitability of any of the sectors, yes, dairying is on a, on a per hectare basis by far and away is better than anything else. But the next best, by far and away, a long way is better than everything else, is tillage. And, and a lot of the, the, the other enterprises, the, the, the dry stock enterprises especially, they don't seem to be or they very much struggle every year to make any sort of, of, of a positive return. So, I mean, we all, we've probably always said that there's a lot of firms out there who have um, dry stock enterprises that could probably push up the dry stock enterprises a bit and have some tillage alongside it. They don't necessarily have to do it themselves. There's lots of different ways that they can uh, either do it either in conjunction with contractors or kind of share farming op- options or indeed renting it out to, to, to uh, tillage farmers in locality. But again, generating more income for their farm um, rather than just, I suppose, letting um, or you know having a, an enterprise that's really not returning as much as it could in that given space of ground. Yeah, well, as you say, Michael, this money be, is being made. Um, that's where uh, that's where the crux of it all is. Just the last one I will ask you about before I let you go, Michael. That is the bean crop uh, little seminar workshop you're holding as well. Big push on beans and uh, growing enough protein for ourselves here. Is this something that is catching on with farmers? Is it something that's becoming more and more popular? Oh, it is for sure. We have we've grown the bean area in Ireland from about four thousand hectares to. Last year it was 15,000 hectares, and we would certainly expect it to get to 15,000 hectares this year. Now, obviously, that's been helped by quite a substantial um, protein aid scheme. Uh, last year it was 500 euros per hectare. You know that that makes a, a massive difference to the bottom line. And in fact, for lots of farmers last year, 
it was probably one of the most profitable crops on the farm. And look, I think we have learned a lot over the last number of years in terms of where you put beans, when you sow beans, what the population of beans should be in order to achieve that high yield. I suppose very simply, sow them as early as you can, sow them as heavy a ground as you can, and sow them to somewhere around uh, 40 seeds per meter squared to get about 30 plants per meter squared. That's the key to all of those. If you want to get poor yield, you put them in light ground, you sow them late, and you sow them thin. That's <laughs> as simple as that. Mm. So we've we've there's some golden rules in there. This uh, the the workshop will go through with more of the nuances on that in terms of the uh, you know what if you are cut going a bit later, uh, how do you get better disease and and uh, and uh, uh, weed control out of that as well. So the workshop will kind of go through all of those particular aspects, and I think it'll be really useful for anybody who's interested in being. Yeah, lots on offer. Uh, Michael, you're on next Wednesday, 31st. It's in Lyrath in Kilkenny. You're kicking off half nine in the morning. Do people need to book in advance or can they just rock up? No, well, they, they, they really need to, 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 to book in advance. So because we have five different workshops, um, people that we're asking people to choose three. In the way the workshops are, are run, uh, they can only really visit three, if you like, or, or participate in three. So for that reason, we are really encouraging people that you really need to register uh, by uh, Monday, uh, next Monday coming. Uh, so just book in online. You'll, you'll find it there on chagas.ie forward slash events. You'll find it under, under that page there. There's a button there, pressing that, uh, register there, make your selection about the workshop that you would like to go to, and, and away you go. Um, people who don't register, and obviously people can turn up if they don't register, but it's um, you might have to prepare for a little bit of delay getting registration because we do need to allocate people to workshops and get them to where, where we hope we can we can fit them in. But if you if you register early, um, you'll be guaranteed to go to the workshop that you want to attend on on the afternoon. Uh, very good, Michael. Well, uh, we look forward to it, and you're going to have a lot of uh, detail on the day, and I'm sure you're going to have a big big lineup. So many thanks for joining us here on the program and telling us all about it. Great, thank you very much. That was Michael Hennessy from Chagas in advance of the tillage conference. As Michael said, look, mood is low on tillage farming after 2023. The year never really recovered, as we said here in the programme many times, never really recovered from that dry February. And uh, I was speaking to a tillage with a dairy farmer who, mixed farmer actually, dairy beef farmer, a little bit of tillage as well in the locality back around, I'm trying to think, September time. And he's farming all his life, a uh, man in his 70s. And he said this year, as in 2023, was the first year he ever lost a crop of barley. Um, it was maybe eight or ten acres. And uh, they just could not get in, could not get a chance to get it cut, just the way the weather played out. And uh, I said it was the first time ever. And that's the kind of year 2023 was. Surprisingly, though, from an income perspective, uh, as Mike is a tillage farmer, still didn't do too bad. And it was still number two. On the list, uh, dairy head and shoulders uh, above everyone else. But tillage actually pretty much always comes in as number two. A lot of it is down to scale, of course. Uh, some huge, huge tillage farms in County Leash as well. Our own listeners here, uh, some of them with vast tracts of land. And uh, that is then what brings in higher income. But uh, challenging year last year for the tillage sector, no question about it. And that is taking place next week, as I said, in Lyrath. And now, coming up after the break, we're moving on to dairy beef calves and Minister McConlogue 
put out a 10-point plan actually in Port Leash last week about increasing the quality of dairy beef calves. However, there were no uh, dairy farmers present at the event and Dennis Drennan from the ICMSA, the newly elected president, wasn't happy about it. He's going to talk to us in just a moment, so stay tuned. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. And moving on to the area of uh, dairy beef, of Dennis Drennan, the newly elected president of the ICMSA on the line. Dennis, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No problem at all. Good to be on your show again. Uh, thanks, Dennis. And now we are talking about this new 10-point plan that Minister McConnell announced last Thursday uh, here in our own neck of the woods in Port Leash. And it's about basically trying to make the area or the industry of dairy beef more profitable for the people who are involved. And look, that's what we all want. However, uh, you're a little bit annoyed from the dairy farmer's perspective, Dennis, as you weren't consulted on this. Uh, you were kind of told it was going on, given the 10-point plan at the end of it. However, the dairy farmers are meant to be the people doing all the work on it. So a bit ridiculous you weren't consulted uh, on it from the outset. Yeah, look, it makes no sense. Like, uh, you know, I mean, this is something that we've been pushing for a long time at this point, that we're looking for a meaningful dairy I mean, uh, the beef, like over 60% of the beef from uh, that's killed factory at the moment in Ireland is coming from the dairy herd. And look, at the, we need collaboration between the dairy side and the beef side, and the dairy side need to produce a, an animal that's more fit for purpose, and the beef side then have an opportunity to, to fatten that animal, rear the, rear the kind of fatten, the, fatten the animal, and, you know, earlier slaughter dates, which is, you know, a huge part of our MAC curve to for more sustainable farming methods. So it's something we've been pushing for, that there should be a meaningful um, subsidy there for the, the farm who's going to rear the calf, whether that be the farm where, where the calf is born, and then also a meaningful contribution uh, and for the person who's willing to finish that animal, subject to certain conditions that the animal will be finished earlier and reach target weights and all like that. So it's just a pity that... If the department had come to us and looked for our suggestions, we could have improved and enhanced the scheme that's after being announced. But just announcing it without any consultation and then expecting us to come back with uh, recommendations and whatever, it's kind of putting the cart before the horse yet again. Yeah, and I'm looking at it in front of me, uh, Dennis, and it is a look 10, 10 point action plan here. And some of them are very straightforward. I suppose it makes complete sense that they want uh, better health, improved health and welfare is one of them. So obviously, look, that yeah. if, if, you're, if you're a farmer, you're going to want improved uh, health and welfare in any area of it. A couple of the ones, I suppose, that are a little bit more interesting is, look, sex semen's something that has been used and is growing in popularity on dairy farms over the last couple of years. I suppose it can, it can be used more in certain ways. Now, look, farmers have come back and they say it suits certain cows, doesn't suit other cows. It's definitely not a catch-all answer, uh, but it's put in here in the 10-point plan. What's your own view on that area? Then it's going to be used a little bit more to improve the quality of dairy beef calves? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I suppose, look, at if, you, if you're using conventional semen, you're going to probably use double the numbers of straws of the actual replacements and maybe even more because, you know, they won't all, they won't all conceive on first, first, um, first service. But certainly, like, I mean, if you only need X number of heifers replacement on your, on your, in your, from your herd, it's a, a great option to use sex semen on, you know, the better cows in your herd and produce the heifers that you really want uh, rather than, you know, using double the amount and ending up with half heifers or half bulls or some years that goes wrong and you don't get the required number of heifers that you want or other years you have too many. So it's definitely an aid in, in, in planning for your farm. And then you certainly have the option of using high DBI bulls or releasing a, a good quality stock bull 
you know, to produce an animal that's really fit for for for, for beef pur- purposes and that can be sold on or reared on your own farm, whichever your option is, and produce a, a, an animal that's more fit for purpose for the beef industry. Another interesting one, Dennis, is one where they are putting out this concept of a, a formal relationship between dairy and beef farmers. So using the likes of, say, the MACRA Land Mobility Service or a, a, an interim body, if you will, somebody in between, uh, interim is not the word, but somebody in between who will be able to facilitate uh, a collaborative arrangement between a dairy farmer and a beef farmer and then possibly setting up a grant aid for one of these partnerships. So that's interesting and that's something where you're kind of maybe farming slightly in partnership, obviously be profit sharing, whatever, it'll be all done and it'll be agreements done. But it's just an interesting concept. Well, I suppose a lot of that has happened on the ground already, like where a lot of people have switched over maybe to, to, to dairy beef and, you know, they have a relationship built up with maybe a neighbouring farmer or a farmer from a couple of miles down the road. They're happy with the type of cow that's being used. They're happy with the, the, the sire selection, we'll say. And even at, in certain point parts, the, the person who's going to buy the calf has an active involvement in the bull, bull selection and the, the breed and the type of animal that they want produced from the dairy herd. So that's what we're really pushing for, like, is that there would be more collaboration between the dairy farmer and the beef farmer and that the, the beef farmer would have some say in in the, the the breed selection and the breeding policy of the dairy herd and you know the dairy farmer then would just deal with a, use sex semen or whatever to produce the, the replacement heifers that he needs or she needs and uh, the finisher then would have a say in what happens with the remainder of the cows as regards breeding policy to produce an animal that's suitable for them. To really get the uh, dairy farmers interest in this though, money makes everything work and makes the world go around. Dennis, if you did have it done in such a way that you had a collaborative arrangement between two and if the animal killed out at a certain amount after a year and a half, there'd be maybe an additional bonus to be paid to the dairy farmer or something along those lines that would really make the dairy farmer go on day one. You know what, I'm going to try my absolute best straw, best beef straw on this cow. I'm going to check it all and I'm going to give it the best start possible in order to get that weight gain through to slaughter like we have to be kind of thinking a little bit like that now because there still is a little bit of um, a model out there where and I understand why dairy farmers are stretched in the springtime labour is an issue and they just want to get a calf get it out gone out the door never talk about it or see it again we're going to have to kind of change that model a little and something like that could be the answer No I think I think local dairy farmers realise that you know uh, and, I, and I've said this for the last probably four or five years as I went to meetings all over the country, like before you inseminate your cow, you need to start considering if this cow has a bull calf, do I have a market for this calf? And I think this is where if you have collaboration between dairy and beef farmers, or a lot of dairy farmers that rear their own stock, um, you know, that we're producing a calf that's fit for purpose. It's it's probably the most environmentally uh, and carbon, uh, lowest carbon uh, emissions from any beef produced in the world because you don't have the carbon footprint of the cow. You're also producing an animal that will finish earlier, whether it be Angus or Hereford or some of the other traditional breeds. Some of the heifers will be will be killed before the second winter and the bullocks will probably be gone at 22, 23 months. So we need targets along the way. So we're not saying that there's, you know we need support and money without targets. You know, the animals have to reach a certain weight. You know, there has to be a scale along the way where there's targets that these animals should reach certain weights and are fit and fit for slaughter at an earlier stage, which would fit in with our MAC curve and a reduction in emissions. So, you know, there's a huge number of advantages here for this. And also, there's obviously more profit, uh, you know, in, in this than other systems of beef production. 
Yeah, uh, well, look, your Amanda knows lots about this, uh, Dennis. When I was speaking to you back in January, uh, when you just taken up the ICMSA presidential role, you were telling me about your own system, how you had moved to a Hereford uh, breeding system with all your cows, and then you were buying in your replacements. And I think it's indicative, really. I, I thought it was very interesting that, um, look, you're the president of the ICMSA, and you've moved uh, in this manner in order to have saleable animals. So it is showing that the, the game is changing, if you will. Well, look, that's a relationship that I have with a neighbouring farmer a couple of miles down the road here like that. Uh, when, you know, the whole land situation uh, got me in a position that I wasn't, I couldn't continue wearing uh, my own replacement heifers mm-hmm. and a good number of replacement heifers for sale. So I had a man that was happy with the with the quality of Frisian bull calves that I was producing. We sat down one day and I had a cup of tea and we discussed what breed he would be happy to buy from me. And uh, we came to an arrangement where he had a, a huge input in the selection on the bulls that I was going to use. And he was happy if I produced Herefords, Hereford animals from a good quality bull. And uh, that arrangement is working exceptionally well so far. I was actually even talking to him this morning and uh, he was he was just going through the, some of the animal welfare issues and health issues and vaccinations that he wanted uh, me to perform on my farm before the calves uh, transfer to his farm. So that's what we mean about the collaboration between mm. the dairy and the beef farmer. And uh, if people can work together and come to an agreement, it's a win-win situation for everybody. And it's also a win-win situation for uh, from an environmental point of view. Absolutely. Uh, Dennis, I'm going to leave it there um, and we will be speaking to you. Look, you're going to be a busy man. Calvin season just around the corner, probably start with you now. So uh, uh, we wish well, you... Next week. Next <laughs> week. Well, we wish, we wish you well with it and uh, no more than yourself and all the dairy farmers listening. It's a busy time coming up. So uh, uh, all the best and we will speak to you again on the programme. Thanks very much. And look, at everybody stay safe. It's a busy time and it's a hectic time, but make sure safety is, is number one. Absolutely. Many thanks, Dennis. Dennis Drennan there from the ICMSA. Now, uh, just before I go to a break, uh, our reporter Cameron Clark spoke to Minister McConnell this morning and one of the questions he put to him was about the Shannon Callows. You might remember last week I spoke to Michael Silk from the Save Our Shannon organisation. Uh, that organisation had a meeting in Lucas and Shannon Bridge last Monday week. They were very unhappy at the payments made under the Shannon Callows scheme. Uh, our reporter Cameron put that question to Mr McConlogue this morning. This is what he had to say. Yeah, no, I, I know it was a really challenging summer for all farmers last year and uh, it was a difficult year as a result of that, and particularly along the Shannon Callows, which I know has been obviously given its nature is prone to flooding, uh, but last year was an exceptional year with regard to that. Um, I recognise that in uh, putting in place a, a compensation scheme for farmers who have lost, lost fodder as a result of that. There had never been a, a compensation scheme before uh, for the Shannon Callows area. Um, it was always something that farmers had to carry themselves um, uh, at their own risk, given the location of the land. But this, the last year, given how exceptional that was, I stepped in and put in place a support scheme for farmers who were affected by that. That paid out at a rate of €325 Euro a hectare for up to 15 hectares, which meant that up to a maximum payment of €4,875 uh, per farmer. Um, I know whenever you put in place any scheme, obviously, then there has to be clear terms and conditions around that. And it always, always coming out of that, there's issues arise in relation to, well, um, who may fall on either side of the of the term, the line of the terms and conditions. But I know there's a number of farmers that have come forward that feel they have a case. Um, they've been allowed to make their to, to make their case uh, to the scheme uh, for inclusion, and, and those will be considered in relation to the the scheme that is the, that is there. Um, and uh, we'll be doing the best we can in relation to it. Country life on Midlands 103, brought to you by W Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie 
And you're very welcome back to the final segment of this evening's programme here on Country Life on Midlands 103. Philip O'Connor from IFAC joins me. Philip, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you, MJ. Thanks for having me on. Uh, more than welcome, Philip. And it's your sixth Irish farm report. Look, you speak to me regularly on these annually, I should say, uh, but you're often out with me about other reports and findings that you have also. Uh, but this one is your farm report. Uh, it's where you go into the specifics and the mechanics of what's going on in Irish agriculture. Always really detailed, I have to say. I always enjoy flicking down through these, uh, uh, Philip, but um, an awful lot of work goes into them, I have to say. And I know it's something I say to you regularly, but I think people maybe uh, don't realise just the amount of work and data and uh, info that's in these documents. Yeah, we, we, you see, we're doing it six years. There's a lot, there's a lot in it, all right. And we, we, I suppose it's a, it, 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 takes a, it takes a snapshot in time of what farmers are thinking. So the report this year was taken in the end of November into December. So we asked yeah, a long series of questions and different topics, succession, finance, how they're thinking their future. And, and we say we compile it into report then. And yeah, so we can talk about it with yourselves and see what farmers are thinking. But this year's report was interesting now. And some of the stats that came out were a little surprising, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, one of the big standout ones, I mentioned it here at the start of the programme, and this was one that's stark enough now when you read it and you, you see it in print. One in three farmers are unsure if they have sufficient cash flow for the next six months. Now, that, that's a high percentage. It is, and I, do I think that there's one in three farmers who are going to run out of cash in the next six months? No, I don't. But we had a follow-up question to that. How many of farmers are budgeting? And 25% of them said they weren't doing any budgeting. So when you take it in that context, there's 25% of farmers who are not budgeting. How would they know what, where their financial situation are? Like their only real barometer is the current account. In IFAC, we always want to work with our clients to make sure they're doing financial management. So therefore, they don't fall into that scenario. In other words, that we don't want them to be that known. And sometimes a business does run into cash tight issues. Like, and no, like farming is no different than any other sector of the economy. The important thing about budgeting and managing your finances is you know that it's coming. So you can plan for it, you can organize for it, or you know what the stress points are in their business that if certain things happen. Like So, for example, we are at the moment now, we're coming into January. It's not been a great January weather-wise, but say, for example, you got a late spring. So what that would mean to your farm, do you have the financial resources to buy extra fodder, or do you have enough fodder that you can carry late spring? So... They're the type of questions that you can answer through the finances when you do budgeting and looking into the future. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, what prepare, prepare to fail, fail to prepare, uh, prepare to fail. Um, another one that I'm looking at in front of me is 16% less farmers uh, plan to be farming in five years' time compared to 2021. So 2021, you asked this question. 2024, you asked the question. Or 2023, you asked the question again. 16% less farmers are going to be farming in five years' time. That's really indicative, Philip, of the age demographic of agriculture. Farmers are getting older and older and we don't have younger people coming in. It is. That, now, that stat did definitely get picked up everywhere. Even at a national level, it got picked up. And what was interesting on that stat, we looked into it. So we asked that question, yes, no, and don't know. So the number of farmers that say no, they're definitely not farming in five years' time, is actually fairly consistent at between 5 and 6% every year. The big jump was from the yes to the don't knows. And I think a part of that is, you alluded a little bit there, MJ, about the ageing profile of farmers. But I also think it feeds into a little bit where we were last year. And if you think about it, we took that survey in November and December. It, w- it was a bad year for farming last year as financially. Like, like tillage farmers had a right off a year. Dairy prices were bad. Beef prices weren't great. We had a bad autumn. We had a new cap. 
there's a lot of stuff around the nitrates and uh, sustainability and where that's going to exactly fit into where we are in farming. So I do think that stat is an indication of, of the level of uncertainty that's going on in farming at the moment and at that particular moment in time when we took the survey in November, December. But yeah, it, 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 was, the, it was the jump from the, to the definitive yeses to the don't knows. And I think that's where that uncertainty is coming in into the industry. Another interesting one, absolutely, uh, Philip. Uh, another interesting one is 21% of farmers are saying the biggest barrier to renewables is not knowing where to start. And that's a really interesting one. If you had put a question there as well about uh, wondering how, how you go about making a TAMS application, I'd say it would have been 100% because uh, there's, that, um, there's that a multitude of data in front of you and questions and where do you go and what do you do and who helps you and whatnot. There's an awful lot of red tape with all of this. And it, like I know the government have their policy out there and they want to get as much green energy out there as they can and, and whatnot up to 2030. But like for the average farmer that maybe isn't massively paperwork savvy, like, you know, where do they start? 21% I actually probably think is, is, is a lowish figure. I thought it'd actually be a little bit higher, but it's still very high. It is. Look, farming is getting more complex. Um, there is a lot to farming. There's a lot of regulations. You've, everyone's got revenue. We've the Department of Agri. We've sustainability. We've all these, a lot of stuff coming at farmers. Look, in IFAC, we always try to do with our clients is, is I suppose, is around working with the, with the team. So I do work closely with my clients and with their ag advisor or with their solicitor or with their banker. So in other words, it, it's the, there's no one size fits all, if you know what I mean. So mm. you know, we, we, it's, it's for a farmer, and this applies into succession as well as, as anything, if you know what I mean, that when, when, when something like that comes to a farm, or whether it be a solar farm or a wind farm, that they need to, they need to put a, couple, a number of people around them that understand all the facets of, of the equation. So from the tax to the legal to the agri, if you know what I mean. So be very strong and say what we try to do in IFAC and work with our clients is is building that farmer team around the farmer. So therefore he's getting advice from us around tax and financial management. He's got a good solicitor and we will work with their solicitor, their ag advisor. So everyone is sharing information to the benefit of the farmer. So therefore he's getting the right advice from everybody on what's going on. So I'm never a fan of any profession working in a silo, that they're working independent of everyone else because if you're not sharing information with each other for the benefit of your client, it's not going to be for the benefit of the farmer. Yeah, and as you say, the way it's gone, people need good advice and need people who know their own job, I suppose, in all those different areas. Philip, I could say speaking to you for ages on this because there's so much uh, info in it, but unfortunately we're just out of time. It's available to download. If you just pop in IFACT uh, Farm Report, it'll pop up there, uh, 2024, IFACT Farm Report 2024, and by all means have a look through it. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me, Philip, and running down through it with me. Thank you very much, MJ. Appreciate being on. Uh, Philip O'Connor there from IFAC and a lot, as I said, a lot of data and that hugely interesting. And another area is that uh, just a stat here in front of me, and this is a really stark one as well. 49%, sorry, wait till I see it, 48% have no identified successors. So pretty much half the farmers out there, half of you who are listening now, don't have an identified successor to your farm or to your holding or to your business. And with the average farm coming in at anything north of a million uh, if you went to a normal normal business person as opposed to a farmer but uh, a business person who was running a business like that they you would find more often than not would have all of those things set up so just look have a think about it making a will um, you can make decisions when you're alive and you can pe- keep people uh, from from fighting over um, over land and over houses and over wealth uh, by just making those simple they're not simple decisions but by making them now 
in their lives. Not, they're not easy, but look, they have to be done because none of us are going to be around forever. And that is it, ending the programme on a morbid tone. But uh, I suppose it's a reality when we're talking about succession. Uh, thanks to all of my guests this evening, Philip O'Connor, Dennis Drennan, Michael Hennessy, and indeed Noel Feeney from the uh, Ag Consultants. Show's repeated Sunday morning at 7am. I'll be back with you this time next week. You can get us wherever you get your podcasts if you type in MJ Space Cleary. C-L-E-R-Y will pop up. Good night and God bless. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. WOrshaw.ie